You're listening to a DM podcast. And welcome to Kinky History, the podcast where we discuss all of the dirty little secrets they probably left out of your history books. I'm your host, Esme Louise James, and today we are talking about the history of the dildo. The dildo today is one of the most popular bedroom companions. And they come in all shapes and sizes. We have your silicone dildo, your micro dildo, your horse cock size dildo, and your vibrating dildo. We truly have dildos to suit your every want, need, and desire. Whether that's floppy, hard, silicone, or buzzing. The dildo technically is an object designed to be inserted inside the vagina, anus, or the mouth. Most commonly, they are shaped like a phallic object, but they can also come in all different twists and turns to really hit the spot. And today, a lot of people have experimented with a dildo. According to a survey that we sent out last year, 74% of all of our participants had at one stage in their life experimented with a dildo. By far, dildos are the most commonly used among women and the queer community, with men sadly falling quite far behind in use, with only 56% ever having experimented with a dildo. Though it is still quite a considerably high number, it must be said. But what is the dildo, and how did it come to dominate our bedroom lives so much in this 21st century moment? Well, the dildo, unsurprisingly, has had a very long and kinky history. The dildo has been around for literally thousands of years, and throughout its life, it has taken on a variety of different roles. We have used dildos in religious ceremonies. We have used dildos to increase our chance of pregnancy. And we have even used dildos to try and raise the dead. The dildo is one of the most enduring and versatile of all of human inventions. So without further ado, it is time to get to it and have a look into the life of Signor Dildo. Now, when we think about some of the greatest inventions in human history, such as tools and writing and transport, they all stagger back, you know, a couple of hundred, sometimes thousands of years. The dildo, however, has a history that can outshine the majority of human inventions. The oldest known dildo has been dated to 28,000 years ago. It was found in 2005 in a German cave by a team of researchers, and it was found in 14 different fragments. And it was only when they found this 14th piece that they revealed the oldest sex toy that we know to date. This stone object measured 20 centimeters long and 3 centimeters wide. This object's distinctive phallic form can be seen by the rings etched along the top, representing just the tip of the male penis. 
In fact, the leading researcher on the project, Professor Nicholas Conrad, stated that this object was a symbolic representation of male genitalia. And while it had scars that are quite typical from napping flint, it was finally decided that this object was made for starting a very different kind of fire. The object was finally determined as a sex toy because it was, quoting, highly polished at the top from a lot of use. We have found similar phallic batons with edged rings along the top around the 10th century across Eurasia. We have found them in Sweden, a model aged between 4,000 and 6,000 years. We have even found similar models in Pakistan. Sculptures of male genitalia have been found and unearthed around the 6th century BCE in Turkey. There is a lot of penises all over the ancient world to be found. (laughs) The similarity in all of these objects found across the ancient world is this phallic shape and the little ring etched around the top, which has led some researchers to even consider whether circumcision was regularly practiced in the ancient world and why this could be. According to the researcher, Dr. Haley Liberman, who is the first person to ever have completed her PhD in the history of sex toys, she was led to discover that double-ended dildos can even be dated between 13,000 and 19,000 years old. Apparently, sharing is caring is a very timeless sentiment. For those of you who might want a bit of a definition, a double-ended dildo is, of course, a dildo that has knobs on either end, meaning that either side can be used for insertion, whether between two different parties, or if you're feeling quite experimental and want to try getting a dildo to stretch into two of your orifices, uh, you are more than welcome to experiment with that as well. Of course, in the ancient times of a stone that's probably not very flexible, we can only assume that these were used by two parties at once. Now, as Haley Liberman has put into perspective, if the dildo was dated to around 28,000 years old, we didn't even invent writing until 3,400 BCE. So this is really putting into perspective the uh, scale of human priorities. But one of the issues with the fact that we decided that we wanted to ensure our orgasms were all well and good before we could document them is that we can't be sure exactly how they were used. Were these just decorative objects for our cave to give it a little spice? Were these objects meant to ward off evil spirits because the phallus has often been linked to magical powers actually some men today probably believe that their penis still has magical powers but that's a that's an issue for another day so it really takes us until ancient greece after the dawn of writing that we can be assured that these dildos were definitely used for a lot more than decorative purposes in ancient Greece, dildos have been represented in multiple different art mediums, literature on vases in artwork. We can see the pure variety of dildo possibilities come to life. Olisbos, O-L-I-S-B-O-S, literally translated to slip or glide. And that was the word used to represent these slippery little bedroom partners in the ancient world. 
Now, the penis was a highly symbolic object in ancient Greece. It was linked to fertility, strength, power, intellect, basically everything good under the sun. And as the scholar Paul Crystal has very poetically stated, in the ancient world, generally the penis was king and masturbation was evidence of that regality. For this reason, we have representations of penises and olisbosses everywhere. In religious life, they also played a pretty prominent role. In the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, who is, of course, our OG girl representing love, sex, and beauty, her temple was regularly decorated with dildos. We dressed that bad boy to the nine with all of our favorite slippery, glidey companions. Outside, people would come to worship her and leave her offerings of dildos making it absolutely indisputably clear that we saw the connection of these objects with enhancing our sexual pleasure and happiness that was clearly valued. Ginormous-sized dildos were also paraded through the cities of ancient Greece by the cult of Diogenes, who is our stand-up fellow representing partying, wine, and getting drunk. To celebrate him, giant penises as big as they could be made in the ancient world were paraded around and festivities ensued. We also, of course, I think have my favorite representation of dildos in Aristophanes' play Lysistrata, which was written in 411 BCE. Now, this play is the OG women supporting women mantra. In this comedy, women band together to try and end the Peloponnesian War by denying their husbands and lovers the one thing that they truly desire, which is not peace, it is a good route. So Lysistrata, the absolute queen that she is, convinces all of the women in the warring cities to go on a sex strike and convinces them to deny their husbands and lovers any sexual favors until those men start to negotiate war. Of course, she doesn't want to leave her girls hanging, so she tells them to quell their own desires as they go on strike using, quote, their eight-fingered leather dildos as a sort of flesh replacement for our poor cunts. Yes, it seems that even the sea bomb was around in the ancient world, but perhaps that's a topic for another day. Now, to seal their sex strike, the women gather around a bowl of wine and decide to swear off men for as long as it takes and instead go to their dildos. They even say that they swear they will not do the lioness on the cheese grater with their men for any time until peace is negotiated. And I still cannot, for the life of me, work out what the position lioness on the cheese grater might be. So if you have any ideas, maybe DM me because I'm very interested to hear what everyone's creative opinions on that could be. But around the bowl of wine, the women pick up their dildos and they swear they will do what it takes to get peace. And honestly, that sounds like a fantastic Saturday night with the girls to me. Sign me the fuck up. 
Dildos also make an appearance in Herodotus' A Quiet Chat from 3 BCE, and they appear quite comically in a very heated discussion between a group of women about who gets to borrow the most coveted dildo in the town next. For some reason, this one dildo is superior to all the other dildos that have been made and sold by other markets. As one woman says... Hunt as you might, you will not find another cobbler so kindly disposed to women. In fact, this dildo not only proves itself to be the favourite toy, but it's even superior to the thing itself. As she says, the men certainly have no rams like those. Going into the 5 BCE, they start to invent a dildo that truly goes against the grain. They turn to breadsticks, talking about the OG form of a yeast infection. There is a rumor that around 5 BCE, a special breadstick was made solely for the use of bedroom purposes. A word appears which combines the ancient Greek term for bread with the one for dildo. And this appears in the very richly compiled lexicon, which is basically an early form of a dictionary, of Hezekias of Alexandria. And yes, I've had to sit here looking up how to pronounce all of these ancient Greek names before I say them. Where's the Sarahs and Johns when you need them? We also see depictions of these breadstick dildos in some uh, vases and artwork from the time, but historians are really unsure whether this was just a really widespread inside joke or whether they really existed. But it's not like it would be the only culinary delight that the ancient Greeks were playing with in bed. In fact, olive oil was a very popular form of lubrication at the time. In ancient Greece, get it? Like Greece, because it's like greasy, because olive oil. Um, (laughs) Around 350 BCE, we have records of people using olive oil to help them slip inside and potentially smear them on their sesame-seeded baguettes as dildos. The oldest example of this comes from some of the writing by Aristotle, actually, and he believed that olive oil could help you prevent pregnancy because he believed that birth only occurred if the womb came into contact with sperm. And this could be prevented by rubbing olive oil around a woman's vagina so the sperm slipped and slid and lost its way inside. So thank you so much, Aristotle. Do not try that at home. But whether or not the ancient Greeks were cooking up a storm, they were certainly using dildos made of wood and pressed leather, both double-ended, strap-ons, or just your run-of-the-mill average dildo. Yet despite their openness to the use of sex toys, there was very strict rules about how these could be used. Now, this was very comparable to their views on homosexuality at the time. Because penetration was seen as a very masculine act. It was shameful for a man to be penetrated in any which way. Now, this was true for dildos as well as it was true for homosexual acts. It was very taboo for men to be found to be pleasured by a dildo, but it seems that women were quite free to use them on one another. 
remaining artwork from the time actually depicts uh, dildos being used between women, um, as well as masturbation. The first literary reference to the dildo may actually date far beyond this. I always thought that Lysistrata was the first literary reference of the dildo until recently I came to learn that the first reference may actually come from the Old Testament. That's right, kiddies, dildos were in the Bible. In Ezekiel 16:17, God reprimands the people of Jerusalem because they took the gold and silver that he has given them and made phallic images and fornicated with them. Now, I truly believed at first that this was too good to be true until I spoke to some leading experts on Old Testament translation and scripture. And yeah, this is an accurate reading of this passage. There is some debate about whether this was a metaphor in terms of the people were making false idols and worshipping them instead of God, but it's agreed that this is also an accepted reading of the Bible, that people were taking the silver and gold and instead of using it for good, they were using it to make phallic images, dildos, and fornicating with them. Why was that not taught to me in Sunday school? Because I probably would have stuck around a lot more. <laughs> now, of course, there is dildos throughout far more of the ancient world. If we go to over to ancient Egypt, they were typically making them out of stone and leather. Now, they believed that dildos were very important for providing sexual pleasure, but they also had important uses in uh, rituals and religious life, and even they had magical purposes. Erotic art from ancient Egypt actually depicts both men and women alike kind of reeling in the benefits from their very stony friend. They played an important role in their spiritual life and they became funerary objects. A lot of these dildos have actually been found in some of the excavated tombs and pyramids. This was very similar to how dildos were used in the Han Dynasty of China. This is dated to 206 BCE to 220 CE. Now, in 2017, the Asian Art Museum of San Francisco actually displayed some of the sex toy objects that had been found during this period. And the director even stated that, very similar to the Egyptians, these had an important place in funerary rites because they believed that the spirits continue to live on after death inside of their tombs. Therefore, it was very important to bury your loved ones with all of their precious objects. And this included their favorite bedroom companion. Now, sexuality played a very important role in the Han Dynasty. They believed that the act of sex brought the powers of yin and yang into balance, allowing an individual to momentarily access the kind of spiritual plane that is the combination of life and death. So if your loved one woke up and found themselves as a ghost in the tomb, the dildo would kind of act as a one-way ticket to the next dimension. By masturbating and experiencing this moment of sexual pleasure, the spirit was able to find their way up into the spirit realm and join everyone else who's used the dildo to access the afterlife. And I think that is beautiful. <laughs> 
So next time that you're masturbating with the dildo and feel like you're in heaven, think about the ancients. Now in these tombs, they've not only found quite normal phallic stone looking objects, but they've even found strap-ons. And the museum creators very decidedly said that these were not merely for decorative purposes. As the director is quoted as saying, they were definitely made for use and we can speculate based on their various bases and how they were worn. They're all bespoke and the ones that we have here may have been laced into place with leather or silk thongs, though it's not clear if they were designed for men or women. They're not heavy at all, though the phallus without the ring form was likely for a man since it was found in a king's tomb. In the middle of all this, it's not only strap-ons and dildos, but archaeologists have also discovered butt plugs. Unfortunately, these seem to be a lot more work and a lot less play. Plugs, butt plugs, were used to seal up the body and maintain the force of chi, a vital essence that can leak out of the body during life and death. What people may not know that this is very similar to how AV plugs are used by morticians today. That's right, you are likely to be buried with a butt plug in. Anal and vaginal plugs are transparent plugs and often placed into the body by morticians to prevent any not-so-fun fluids leaking out of a deceased body. So if you've ever been too worried to uh, try a butt plug, just know that you're likely going to die with one, so uh, there's no point waiting till after death to enjoy it. Maybe that's a fun fact to share to any homophobes that may be in your life, that uh, there's no point being all prudy and uh, angry about it now because um, be popping into your butt anyway. Though these jade butt plugs unfortunately fell out of fashion after this period, the dildo remained strong. It continued its popularity right into the early modern period and made its debut in a series of art and literature from the time. Some of my favorite appearances appear in the work of Pietro Arantino, who is considered the forefather of pornography. Now, Pietro Arantino worked and wrote around the 16th century, and he has a fair few cameo roles for the dildo. In one fantastic episode, he describes a basket of dildos being delivered in the middle of a dinner party. And admit it, we've all been there. Then he uncovered his basket and set it on the table. At once a roar of laughter arose that sounded like thunder. No sooner were those fruits of paradise seen than the hands of both sexes already engaged with one another's thighs, tits, flutes and bags lunged for them with the dexterity of pickpockets. There were glass fruits made near Venice to look like a prick. Now around this time, and Venice was actually the center of luxurious dildo products. You may well have heard of Venetian glass and perhaps in your own trips to Venice have purchased a beautiful pair of earrings, maybe a bowl, maybe a plate. Well, once upon a time, you could also buy your glass dildo. Fashioned with the finest Venetian glass, they were often filled with warm water, and this stimulated the feeling of a real ejaculation during play. 
Now, Arantino, quite controversially, often depicted the use of dildos within convents and being used by nuns. In one work, which has been translated in English to The Secret Lives of Nuns, he depicts nuns putting one of these self-ejaculating dildos to use to, quote, quell the gnawing of their flesh. Now, in a historical coincidence, which I love more than anything... One of these self-ejaculating dildos has been found dated to the 18th century in the old site of a convent. This self-ejaculating dildo was found in the seat of Louis XV uh, near the banks of the Seine. This discovery confirmed that these spurting little buddies were not just a product of the literary imagination, but they really existed, could be purchased in Venice, and were widespread products throughout Europe. But one fact that I pretty much guarantee that your English teacher definitely left out of your classes was that dildos make an appearance in the works of the great English bard William Shakespeare. In Act 3 of his play The Winter's Tale, one of the servants describes a peddler who has just come past to try and sell his bits and bobs. He hath songs for men and women of all sizes. No milliner can so fit his customers with gloves. He has the prettiest songs for maids, so without bordery, which is strange with such delicate burdens of dildos and fadings. Jumper and thumper. Now, Jumper and Thumper, as the slogan on this salesman cart, needs absolutely no explanation. But the term fadings perhaps does. Now, dying was a very common way of talking about the orgasm in the Victorian era. Now, this comes from the fact that during sex, they believed that vital life fluids, quite like the Han Dynasty, would be released from the body, and this would put you to the brink of life and death if those life fluids were then not replaced by fluids of another kind, meaning a man's cum. So using a dildo could bring you to the brink of death if you were not careful. Some historians have actually argued that this logic was used to convince people to have sex with each other during the period. Um, just like the practice of like bloodletting, they believed that these fluids needed to be released quite regularly from the body. So it was really good to uh, use your dildo to jumper and thumper as often as you could. Shakespeare unfortunately wasn't the first person in the English literary tradition to write about dildos. In 1592, we have one of my favourite poems of all time written by Thomas Nash. The choice of Valentine's or the merry ballad of Nash his dildo. This erotic poem is probably the first to really link the use of dildos with the fear of male emasculation. In his poem, we also see these squirting dildos, thick concealed glass, which is able to be filled with hot water or with milk and squirted into the user. This poem is set on Valentine's Day, so you may want to jot this one down as an idea for next year. 
And in this poem, our hero, Tamlin, travels out of the country to find his lover, Mistress Francis. Now his mistress is a sex worker, and so he travels to the brothel which he has last found her in. However, once he gets there, he is informed that she no longer works there, and he has to make a long and arduous journey to the next brothel. When he arrives, the brothel madam offers him every other worker in the establishment before finally allowing him access to Mistress Francis. By the time he gets there after his long journey by cart, he is so excited that he instantly ejaculates at the sight of his lover. Oh, who is able to abstain so long? I come, I come, Mistress, I come. Mistress Frances isn't awfully happy about this, to be honest. She's kind of like, hey, kind of want to get off myself. And so she uses, quote, a helping hand to help get her lover back to speed. Oh, unhappy me, quote if she, and wilt it not stand? Come, let me rub and chafe it with my hand. Finally, Tamalin is back up and ready to go. Only he is now so excited by the handjob he's just been given that he comes again. And at this stage, Mistress Frances is utterly fed up. And so she reaches under the bed and pulls out her little dildo to satisfy herself instead. The rest of this poem basically consists in her singing praise of the dildo for how much better it is than men, for the fact that it will always stand stiff as if he were made of steel, and it does not run the risk of pregnancy like men do, and make her tender belly swell. All the while, Tamalin watches on, utterly humiliated and defeated by his man-made opponent. This is probably the first example that we can see of dildos finally being linked to male anxiety that they're not good enough and they're not able to outperform the dildo, which is a really important turning point in the history of the dildo. This anxiety now seeps into the history of the dildo, bringing us to one of my favorite works, Signor Dildo. The Earl of Rochester, John Wilmont, was a truly notorious figure. As far as libertines go, this man was leading the charge. He was hosting wild parties and orgies at his estate. He was doing innumerable extramarital affairs with both men and women. And the very generous man that he was, he was donating his services to infertile couples to help them conceive children. We love an earl who does charity work. But why the Earl of Rochester is so important when it comes to the history of the dildo is that he would have a ginormous order of dildos seized at custom in 1670. This marked the start of the dildo ban in England and France. And in the 17th century version of giving a bad Google review, um, John Wilmot responds by publishing a poem called Signor Dildo. You ladies of all merry England, who have been to kiss the Duchess's hand, pray, did you lately observe in this show a noble Italian called Signor Dildo? You'll take him first as no person of note, because he appears in a plain leather coat. But when you his virtuous abilities know, you will fall down and worship Signor Dildo. 
But why Signor Dildo? A very good question, Esme. Because at this time, Italy was the largest purveyor of dildos in Europe. And as scholars like Haley Liberman and Jack Holland have pointed out, the anxiety of dildos became conflated with this cultural divide. It wasn't just the fear of being outdone by a man-made device. It was the fear of being outdone by an Italian man-made device that really seeped into the Englishman's anxieties. So at this stage, the Earl of Rochester has his giant buttload of dildos seized at customs, and there's even a ban that's put in place to stop people from creating dildos across England and France. Women became prosecuted for trying to make dildos out of broom handles, which some scholars have suggested helped to keep the myth alive of witches riding broomsticks. However, some women were creating dildos that were far more sturdy. One such queen was Teresa Phillips. Mrs. Phillips owned a shop in Leicester Square called The Green Canister. And according to accounts, for two to ten pounds, you could purchase whatever dildo best suited your desire. She would make them out of Indian rubber or even make double-ended dildos that could be used by two people. She was selling condoms and a variety of sex toys quite openly uh, to the public but mainly to sex workers. But where does it all go wrong? As the dildo becomes linked to this fear of emasculation and to the anxieties surrounded cultural divides, it becomes more and more taboo, sales become banned, and the item becomes prosecuted to both create and possess. It really becomes conflated in our war against masturbation and sex, which raged all throughout the 18th century and we're really just starting to see undo today. And for this reason, it wouldn't be until the 1960s that we really see any progression in the life of the dildo. One incredibly important moment happens, and that is the new invention by Gosnell Duncan. Dr. Haley Liberman has done incredible work in bringing this basically unknown and incredibly important moment in history to light. Now, in 1965, a man called Gosnell Duncan sustained an injury that left him paralyzed from the waist down. This left him impotent, and he found that he could not find a safe penile substitute. As he quoted in his interview, which I think is an equally pertinent idea today, as I was learning to live my life from scratch, no one even mentioned the word sexuality. While dildos were being sold as medical aids, he found that the dildos he was able to purchase were incredibly low quality and often made out of rubber. This means they weren't able to withstand any kind of heat and washing, two very important factors when it comes to the safe use of dildos. And so Gosnell Duncan worked himself with a chemist to bring about the silicone dildo, which would provide a better and safer option for people with a disability who needed a penile substitute. 
But his work, as we probably know today, spread far beyond this. Once we had a body safe option for the dildo, it really took off when we get to the sex revolution of the 1960s and 70s. The importance of that moment cannot be underestimated. The invention of a body safe device has been absolutely revolutionary when it comes to the accessibility and safety of sex toys and sex aids. And he is part of the reason that today so many people have experimented and possess a dildo. I think it's important to note that still in a lot of countries, including Australia and America, sex toys such as dildos are still considered novelty items. This means that there is no standard to which they have to be made. They do not have to be made to a body safe standard that Gosnell Duncan set. So if you're going to experiment with any kind of dildo or sex toy, I implore you to double check the maker to ensure that it's one that is body safe. So what does this all mean when it comes to our relationship to Senor Dildo? Well, I think we're starting to reclaim some of the collaborative harmony that we've basically lived in with these sex toys since the ancient times. And if dildos have truly been around for 28,000 years, I think it's safe to say that we've still managed to copulate and maintain our sexual desire just fine. We're in no fear of not desiring the real penis anytime soon. The dildo has worn a variety of different hats over the ages. Sometimes it's a sex toy and sometimes it's a sex aid and sometimes it's a healthy combination of both. We've seen it as a source of sexual autonomy, giving us the ability to pleasure ourselves without depending on another human. We've seen it as a source of empowerment, allowing people the chance to take back control over their ability to give and receive pleasure. And of course, they have given us this pleasure, a pleasure that is largely free from the risks and complications such as pregnancy that sometimes and often throughout the history we have risked for our sexual enjoyment. If you want to be buried with your dildos, if you want to wave a giant dildo in the parade at Mardi Gras, know that your desire is deeply rooted in thousands upon thousands of years of history. The dildo is one of our longest lasting inventions in human history, and that kind of longevity deserves our respect. So wave those dildos around with pride, use them to access that heavenly dimension, and sing your ballad's pride about the pleasures of Signor Dildo. I have been your host, Esme Louise James, and thank you so much for joining me at Kinky History. And if you simply can't wait for more, then you can check me out on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. All of the links can be found in my bio. And if you want a little bit more, you can join our growing community on Sunroom filled with like-minded kinky historians and help support my work here at Kinky History. Mm. <gasps> oh.